Hello and welcome to the Total Quadball podcast, a place where we talk to the people, make quadball what it is, we give them an opportunity to share their stories and experiences of the sport. I'm Fraser and I'll be your host. Continuing the theme from the last three episodes of the Road to Richmond project, we had Belgium, who were beaten by Norway at EG last year. We then had Australia, who, were defeat, who defeated Norway. And now we have the only team that beat Australia at European Games last year, Germany. Since hosting the 2016 World Cup in Frankfurt, the national team and NGB has been on an upward trajectory like no other nation. Utilising excellent organisation and forward thinking to steadily become one of the world's leading football playing countries. At a national team level, they play a brand of intelligent and co- cooperative football that is steadily becoming the envy of many around the world. And after their second place finish at European Games last year, they're now a serious contender to win the world title. Joining me to talk all about this year's German team is their head coach, Marco Ziekhaus. Good afternoon, Marco. How are you doing? Hello, great. I'm really happy to be here for you. Yeah, glad you can join us and uh, yeah, find out more about uh, German quad boards. Uh, very much kind of a hot topic right now. So yeah, excited. I'm, I'm keen to share whatever <laughs> you throw with me. Yeah, glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Um, ju- jumping straight in, uh, we're gonna, I guess, discuss the club game. It was obviously very recently we had uh, EQC Division One in Heidelberg, Germany, um, so you're currently based. So yeah, German quad ball has been on the rise at the moment, notably at the club level, um, with Ruhr Phoenix very recently getting Germany's first medal at an EQC uh, last month and numerous clubs finishing the top 16 in Europe. So kind of from, from your perspective, what do you think has led to this recent rise and how is the growth of the club game impacting the national team or vice versa? So I think German quad ball rising to that performance levels has only been a matter of time. Um, I am also at the, in the board of DQB, the German NGB, and we actually made a decision a couple of years ago that we will prioritize development over um, over like top level performances. Um, and I think it's like it has delayed our development a bit maybe, um, but it was a very conscious decision um, and it's paying off now um, because we have such a broad player base now. Um, so one thing there was, for example, that we actively tried to prevent the building of like super teams that were like consisting of only national team players but we were trying to keep players at wherever they're living basically and prevent this this clustering basically that happens in Paris for example and to a degree also in London and in Antwerp obviously. Um, so yeah um, and generally I think we've been catching up to the other nations basically. Quadball has been introduced in Germany somewhat later so I think the first German teams were around in 2014 we were seriously playing starting in 2016 um, at a time when like the names of Titans and Antwerp and uh, and uh, Raptors and whoever have already been legends in Europe when Germany was all still the Wild West, so to say. Yeah, it's a really good thing to have, I think, just having that awareness of like on a on a national level that this is a new sport, both like across the world, but obviously in Germany. Um, 
and kind of realizing that and making sure there's those pathways exist having sort of strong clubs with sort of a, well having multiple strong clubs with a certain amount of talent and then being able to spread that knowledge develop that talent from the ground up and then obviously bring everyone together uh, as part of the national team yeah yeah but the national team has also always been serving as a kind of incubator in Germany, um, spreading the knowledge from the top teams to the like somewhat lower tier teams. Um, and um, we actually increased that even more starting in 2019, I think. We have a development team uh, which doesn't focus so much on, on performance as the national team does, but uh, one important criteria for, for selecting people into the development team is also their development potential and whether they can already develop on their own in their their regular teams or not. So we would rather take someone who is from a low level team um, and has a similar talent than someone from Phoenix, for example, with the same talent, because the person from Phoenix will develop no matter what. But that person from the low level team, they, they need that coaching and the input and playing on a high level. Uh, way more and they would benefit way more yeah definitely that's a good way of looking at it um it's obviously yeah, the top clubs are the top clubs for a reason and they'll get a certain standard of coaching but say the lower down clubs yes they might have a bit of talent there but yeah talent only gets you so far right you need that guidance you need that extra little bit of critique that they might not get at club level but they will get say as part of the the development squad or or even higher as part of the national team. And it's really curious when you look at um, the various German club teams that, I mean, like, like you said, there's no concentration of national team players really. Obviously, you look at the very top teams like the Ruhr Phoenixes and say Rhinos Bonn, those types of teams sure got a lot of national team players. But then you look at further down the pyramid, you go, oh, there's a German national team player there and there's one there and there's one there. Like they're all, all kind of scattered amongst lots of teams, which is quite cool to see. I actually prepared some numbers um, regarding that, uh, which oh, is really? astonishing. So we have like in our training squad for the national team, not development team, but national team, we have 17 different teams represented um, and 10 teams represented in the World Cup roster. Um, so yeah, um, it's I think that's more than any other nation probably, maybe the US. Can match that because at least in the past they had that kind of regional quota thing where some amount of players had to be from some region um but yeah um i i listened to the belgium podcast where it consists basically just of two teams um arguably belgium is significantly smaller on a team base and player base but still i think we are like probably that team or one of the teams that's spread out the, the most across uh across uh, club teams yeah true and then yeah the national team level it's amazing to see how people from so many different backgrounds can come together and become this one team and be so successful um which leads me on to my next question see regarding uh europe european games last year in ireland uh but germany had their most successful ever tournament uh with a day one win over england and then a semi-final win over Australia, making them the first nation other than the US to achieve this feat uh, in 10 years. 
uh, before narrowly losing to to England in the final in the rematch of the group stage. So yeah, with, with all that said, like, how do you reflect on this tournament in particular, and kind of what are your favourite moments from the weekend? So, I think like obviously the tournament was a great success for for us as the players and the coaches, but also for for all of Quadruple Germany or for the community. Um, reassuring ourselves that we're on the right track and uh, catching up to, to to the big nations, so to say. Um, yeah, my, I think my favorite moments were, um, I mean, first, obviously, the win over England in, in the group stage, where a lot of a lot of people wouldn't have like thought it was possible, basically, especially outside of Germany. Um, and it was actually very close. I think we were were behind by 30 points when we caught to overtime and when we won in overtime. It was pretty much the same way, but reversed in the final then. Mm. Um, yeah, but but really the, the most important or most like the moments that really stayed in memory was winning against Australia and I still remember the snitch catch. I think it was very close to the to the sub box or just before in front of the of the scorekeeper table. Um, and also we had on, on Saturday evening um, we had a big big dinner party with all the players and our non-playing supporters. So we had about five or six people that joined as supporters and they actually went shopping on I think Friday or Saturday and they they bought like four shopping carts full of groceries and uh, cooked for, for, for the team and um, we were hanging out together and it was a great great experience especially after that win of England. Yeah that's a really good mixture of things there from from last year obviously like the performance aspect of that those two really great historic victories um, versus the, the England game which like both of those games, both the day one game and then the final, are just brilliant matches. Like if you haven't seen them yet, go ahead and watch them. Like it's it's a truly like fantastic example of what this sport can be at the top level. Um, and then yeah, obviously the, the semi final as well, defeating Australia in, in that that moment um, and sort of be able to take down a former world champion like that, really kind of raising that self belief. But I also really like how. You mentioned the the team dinner and how you were sort of able to spend that time together at the tournament, having achieved that big result against England on day one, and sort of create those bonds off the pitch to yeah. rather than just it being sort of rather than just business on the pitch. Like obviously, you guys care for each other away from it. Yeah, yeah. I think especially at the moment, quad ball is right now where you have a lot of nations that can all compete with each other. And can beat each other on a good day. Um, it's very important to keep it, the team bond strong because even if you feel confident and think that you will win a game, there's so many things that can happen. Um, so you like if you base your your whole team experience just on on winning a game or winning a tournament, um, you're gonna get unhappy pretty fast just by because there will be random events, there will be situations where you're dominating, but still the other team catches and wins. Um, but you need to make sure that you keep going and you you keep the happiness and the, the motivation in the team. Yeah, very true. Yeah, I really like that approach to it. And uh, yeah, there's so many things that can go right or go wrong depending on the individual game, the individual tournament. So definitely valuable to have that perspective, especially in this day and age where, as you said, there's so many teams that can beat each other. Uh, I think I mentioned it 
in a pre- previous episode where you had, I think from EG last year, obviously you guys beat, uh, beat England, but then England beat another team and then another team and you beat, and you, but you lost to Belgium and yeah, there's like, there's like whole wheel of this team beat this team and this beat team beat this team. Um, so I just, I guess it really um, shows in case just how competitive it is at the top end now. Yeah, I don't think it's, it's a great sign of uh, of competitiveness and also of a great tournament scheme where if it's possible that the, that no team was undefeated on the weekend, that every team lost at some point. Because um, it means for one thing you can come back from 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 a loss, um, and the second you uh, yeah it is a proof. Is a proof that all teams, no matter how like how strong they are, they can be beaten, and even the, the winner of a tournament is not it's not dominating over all the others. Yeah, definitely, it's it's really exciting for the sport as a whole. Um, so just looking ahead to Richmond, like how is the team preparing for the tournament? Um, and has there been much change uh, since last year? Not a lot of change. So we actually, when uh, my co-coach Muni and I uh, took over last year um, or like before like after after COVID essentially um, we changed the scheme of the national team a bit so before there was always like one or two selection weekends where we would select players for the national team at the beginning of the season and then keep practicing with these and we changed a bit so that we had like a permanent uh, a permanent roster more or less and we add people and we remove people at some occasions, but it's not this rigid structure anymore. Um, and we think it's closer to how other sports do it. So in football, for example, yeah, you don't have this scouting at the beginning of the season, and then you just um, work with that. I think it helps a lot with uh, creating synergy between the players, also creating such a psychological safety so that people don't have to fear, um, will I make roster next year or not? So it's kind of if you play the tournament or you've been in the practice squad, it's pretty much guaranteed that you can continue on the national team. Um, at some point, we have to kick people off, but usually that is a decision that people can foresee on their own already. So it's not a huge surprise. Um, yeah, and we've had in, we've had ten practices this season, uh, always a weekend. Um, we planned 10 practices last year as well, but uh, had to cancel two because of COVID. Um, so we don't have that problem anymore, luckily. And yeah, we also made a decision not to introduce a lot of new things this, this season compared to, to last season. So no big new tactics. We mostly want to fine tune on what we already have and uh, yeah, make everything perfect. Yeah, it all sounds uh, sort of very analytical and really kind of looking at the different pros and cons to everything you do for the national team and yeah having that standing team model now officially in place is like really rewarding especially if you look at examples that other national teams have set uh notably england i think it's been one of the longest standing standing yeah. teams um in that respect and yeah having that psychological security is i think it's really valuable for those players knowing that they can turn up to a training and express themselves try things out make like make mistakes and they're not going to be immediately dropped or punished for them um they've got that ability to grow with the national team as it develops yep. now I, I was also curious to to know um 
there's you you added uh, Karm Balat to your coaching team, something we discussed in the podcast a few months back. Um, yeah, could you tell us the impact that Khan's had on the team so far? Yeah, so maybe a little bit of history. Um, after EG, um, two like we like before EG, we had four coaches in total: Muni, myself, Steffen Birsching, and Paul Vander. Um, Paul said he wants to play again and uh, try his luck as a player, and he's been selected into roster. Um, and similar with Stefan, Stefan also was trying out. Um, he didn't quite make make the World Cup roster, but um, yeah, he, they were like trying to to get in again. Um, so we were down to two people, and we were looking for replacements essentially. Um, and we found him in Khan, and also in Till Wagner, Till Wagner from Rheinland-Spahn, and Khan Bullard from Unicorns, as you all know. Um, yeah, it was basically. I think Khan was watching European games last year, and he was uh, discussing with Leander about uh, about the final and like giving tactical an analysis to Leander about how we could have won the final and what what went wrong. Um, and then, yeah, Leander has, I, I don't know who it did here, if it was Leander or Khan himself, but Khan could actually be a coach for Team Germany because he knew Turkey wasn't coming to World Cup. Um, and we're, we've been thinking about it and for, I mean, if he's up for it, then perfect. Yeah, I mean, he, in he's been flying here for for a couple of times now. Um, he didn't attend every practice, but let's maybe half of them. And um, he has a really, really great impact. I think he's a great motivator. He's he's very good at um, approaching the team in a huddle, for example, um, motivating them, um, also coaching from the sidelines, which is also something that I am not. The greatest person for. I'm very analytical. I'm very trying to get the big things right, and Khan is very is very good in getting those small things um, in the the right words in the right moment. Okay, yeah, that's really fascinating to hear about. Um, this is something that I found particularly interesting when the announcement was made they'd be joining the coaching team. Um, it's like one example that I think of off the top of my head from from rugby is that in 2007, the South African rugby team appointed Eddie Jones uh, as Australian as a consultant for the, the the South Africa team. And it feels very similar to that in having this person with that outsider way of thinking, not thinking in sort of the way that the other sort of native coaches would think. And ultimately being someone who's an expert at the game, like Khan is, um, who also has that, well, has that interest in there that, yes, they're there to coach the team, but they're going to be very honest with the players because um, that's what they're there to do. They're not there. It's not their country. It's not um, sort of, a, I guess, a major sense of pride for them in the same way it would be if Khan was coaching Turkey, for example. Um, but they can come in and just kind of provide that different opinion that you might lack otherwise and maybe something a bit different to, compared to other national teams. Yeah, it's also like when when you I think the, the benefit from having someone from another NGB is also like really remarkable because they play a, diff, a slightly different style of Quidditch in Turkey and in unicorns, obviously. Um, so, yeah, you just get a lot of new perspectives that um, you might have thought about or may not have thought about before, um, but um, just can't telling us, for example, how how unicorns set up their attack. 
um, gives us a lot of new new input to discuss. Even if we might not, not actually implement it in the end, it gives us also new tools to communicate about the game and about, about tactics. Um, so I'm really glad we have him. Yeah, true. Yeah, it's certainly a interesting perspective to have on the coaching team. Um, so just about this team in general, like, what do you think makes this different from the other contenders for the World Cup? I think what separates us from the other contenders is uh, mostly our depth in the roster. Um, so we've been talking about the, the number of, of, of teams in Germany, and um, I think we can su sub off our starting lineup almost without any any like the, like without losing any kind of talent or quality. Um, and we can do that throughout the entire roster. So there's, we have several lineups prepared more or less. Um, but, um, and like they, it's very, really hard to rank them uh, talent wise or like strength wise. Um, they all have their, their individual skills that we can use if we want to play a high paced game or if we want to play a controlled game. Um, but it would be really difficult to, to rank them in any way. Um, so yeah, um, I think the depth is really what separates us. Um, and the, as I already said earlier, the just combining so many different teams, also a lot of new national team players. So for, for many players, this will be the first World Cup. I think, um, we have only seven people that have played a World Cup before. So seven people from 2018 in Florence. Um, and, um, six people are actually the first for six people it's the first uh, tournament with the national team um so yeah it's like as we discussed earlier um there's so much talent in germany and um, i feel that that our job as coaches is often not necessarily giving them input and or telling them how to play because they they know how to play it's mostly organizing and i think in the uk you have like for, for football coaches in the Premier League, you don't really call them coaches, you call them managers, right? Yep. And um, I often feel like more of an, like a manager than a coach because I I help the, the team and the players to work on, on themselves, basically, and to improve. Not so much, but it's not really my input. It's just I give them the stage to do that. Yeah, it's an interesting kind of uh, perspective to draw up there. Um, and yeah, I, I always find it really interesting when the German roster gets announced every year because... Yeah. Sort of following the, inter the international game like I do, there's certain players that I'll sort of put, pinpoint and go, yeah, that player's good, that player's good, that player's good. And then you look at the Germany roster and you're like, wow, this player didn't make it and this player didn't make it, this player didn't make it. Who's this person? And then you get to the tournament and you're like, okay, this person I've never heard of is brilliant. Um, just thinking of like last year, um, a few players that, really um stood out to me i think fear Lukkemeyer from bielefeld was one yeah. um also like marcel harb uh robert verklas these players that aren't necessarily sort of big big names as such but then they're able to come in and just fit into the german system very well and play at that high high level and just the rate at which that you can swap in new players and obviously have a core of players to build around but then Whoever is selected that year is is ready to step up to the big stage. Yeah, yeah. It's like obviously, I don't have it outside of perspective, but it, I imagine that it feels like, oh, who is this? 
and like suddenly a wild German player appears and they're pretty <laughs> <actually> good. <laughs> Where did yeah, they true, true, true. Um, so our next question uh, something we addressed uh, the Norway episode and the Australia episode as well. Um, for much of this season, uh, the topic of the gender rule has been talked about a lot during various tournaments. Um, obviously, uh, EQC Division 1 last month, uh, the vast majority, if not all of the German clubs, uh, played with free max, regardless of their opposition. Um, so, yeah, from from a Germany like national team perspective, uh, will the team be following suit or are you planning to play kind of a mix of three or four, depending on your opponent? So we decided we're going to play a mix, similar as Belgium does. Um, and we actually, we're basically playing the free max with a German interpretation. So we have, have had the free max rule in Germany for this season um, already, um, already last season partly. And um, one core element of a rule is that if an opponent is not playing uh, free max because they get some exception, for example, then both teams get the exception. Um, and so we will play, we will always ask the opposing team if they want to play free max. If they they join us, then we're really happy about it. Um, if they decline, then um, we will not restrict us in that sense. We might still play free max for the majority or even all of the game, um, but we don't want to commit to it right now. Um, yeah, um, I think it would be, um, it's, a, it's an element of the sport that um, we're really pushing for um, and we really hope it's in the rule book, um, but we are not, um, we're not, not, we don't want to be um, defeated because we're restricting ourselves and the flexibility of our roster um, when the other team doesn't join us in doing that. Yeah, so it's a good way of looking at it. and. Yeah, it's it's tricky to find that balance and try and get it right because obviously this is a change that I think a lot of us now want to see with the rule book and hopefully post World Cup it will come into place. But yeah, like there's one thing sort of actively um, promoting that, but also yeah, you, you don't you don't want to like if if one if one team isn't doing the same, you want to be on the same level playing field, right? So good to good good to sort of have awareness of that, I guess. Yeah, and it's um, like I know it often seems like a like the, the conclusion people often make is um, that male players are better than female players or non-binaries, um, and I think that's that's not true. Um, it's really mostly this restricting your flexibility in the roster. Um, we've played in the European Games final. We played at some point also with. Uh, with uh, three female players on, on the field, even though we didn't have to, just because it was going really well at that point for us and we didn't want to interrupt any kind of, uh, of, of flow we've been having. Um, so it's really, it's all, all about the flexibility in my opinion. Um, and like combining different strengths of different people and like who would you prefer to have there and would you have, do you want a high paced game or rather a controlled game? Um, and different people bring all these different qualities. Um, and obviously it is a restriction if you have a free max rule. Yeah, it's good to good to cover that. Um, and just obviously we've talked about German team a lot 
Um, and we talked about the strength and depth of the team. But if you could kind of shout out a few German players, like which, which players should we be watching out for at this World Cup? So, I, as I said, it's the depth of the, of the team. It's, it's very difficult to call some names, but I'll still try. <laughs> uh, there's obviously the, the 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 names you you and your uh, the listeners might be aware of uh, the old guard, so to say, around um, like um, Lena Steuer, Hanna Grosse, um, Leander, uh, Tom Roloff, for example, um, or Paul, who who are still with us and I think will be integral in like um, providing the backbone, so to say, also having that routine and playing at such a level. Um, but we also have a lot of uh, lot of new new joiners. Um, like I think you discussed her on the podcast before. Her name is Eva Horst from Rio Phoenix. Um, we have also Elisa Schenk, a beater, who's been playing very consistently um, and really surprises me how well she plays on, on a high level. Um, and yeah, I think those are some names to watch out for. Um, but it's really difficult, as I said earlier, it's really yeah. difficult to rank the players against each other because they have their strengths in certain situations of the game. And I think uh, almost every player can beat any other player in the cert- in the right situation, basically, if it fits their, their current strength. Yeah, true. There's a, there's a lot of talent and quite a, a diverse set of players there. Um, like what, one name that I particularly want to shout out, um, just from watching back the footage from last year, was uh, Philip Veterick mm-hmm. uh, from Darmstadt, who didn't used to play as a beater, and he switched uh, sort of a few years ago. Yeah. But if you watch the way he plays, he's very smart and intelligent with the decisions he makes. Um, and sort of yeah. you compare him to, to say Leon Burgers, for example, who's this high energy, high aggression beater. Philip's kind of the opposite of that, and it kind of shows the different styles of beating that you can have within a team and how you could have, say, a Leon-type player, but then swap them out for a Philip, and they both add some kind of value to the team. Yeah, I think Philip is really great. His, like, his field presence is sometimes intimidating, so he just feels, it feels like he has this bubble of, like, five to ten meters around him that uh, he controls without throwing any bludger just by being there. Um, <laughs> so it's really, really impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to flip the question around, um, which teams and players uh, do you want to play against at this tournament? So I think that question is rather obvious for many European teams. So we want to play the non-European teams. We've <laughs> played the European teams on a regular basis. We've played um, Belgium, France, England and Norway at the at friendlies in, in April, I think it was, or March in mm. Belgium. Um, so yeah, we want to play the, the, the international non-European community, um, and also we also want to play the US, um, ideally in the final or in the uh, third place match, um, because that would mean there is an all probably an all European final, which I'd be very happy about as well. Um, but um, yeah, it's I don't think it's likely that uh, the US ends up not playing the final. Yeah, true. It's uh, quite a, a common answer we've had from some of the Europeans so far. It's like, yeah, we, we played the European team so much. We want to want to see what, what else is out there. And uh, yeah, I think, so, so, well, I, I, I'd love to see 
a Germany-US game, whether that's the final or that's, I don't know, one of the bracket games, is, uh, that's been really interesting sort of seeing the sort of the superpower of the sport, the US, um, in their home country up against this rising nation in Germany. Um, and yeah, just seeing what the difference is between sort of the star power of the US versus this sort of well-organized, um, sort of development-focused uh, German team sort of peaking at the right time. Yeah, if we're playing the US and if we want to have any any chance of, of winning, then it has to be because we are we play together better. We have more synergy between our players because we do have a chance. We practice 10 times this year or this season. Um, I think the US doesn't um, just because of the sheer size of the country. They probably practice like two or three times across the season. I, I don't know. I don't know the exact uh, structure. Um, but yeah, I think we, it's very hard to beat them individually with individual talent. Maybe we can keep up with them a little bit on individual talent, but definitely not beat them there. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting if it happens. It's going to be interesting indeed. Um, yeah, we're, we're going to wrap it up there. Um, but yeah, Marco, this has been a really fun episode and uh, I hope you've enjoyed yourself and uh, yes. hope listeners enjoyed it as well. Um, and yeah, we wish you and the German team the best of luck at the World Cup. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed myself. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, if you want to stay up to date with future episodes of the Total Quabble podcast and more of the Road to Richmond episodes, uh, please give the Total Quabble Facebook page a like. Uh, that's where we announce whenever we dropped an episode. Um, and yeah, it's the easiest way to stay in touch with what we're doing here. Um, until next time, keep yourself safe and live the game. Goodbye.